0: on the Pilot TV podcast this week we're getting a double dose of Mark Ruffalo in HBO's I Know This Much Is True, rapping about genitals in FX comedy Dave, and heading out to Cape Cod with the Federal Fishery Service in Star's crime drama High Town. I am James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, your weekly guide to the very best entertainment the small screen has to offer because you can't watch everything, except you kind of can now as it turns out we all exist in a dreamlike limbo where time has no meaning reality is just a mood and none of us has spent more than half an hour away from the now permanent buttock crevices in our respective sofas joining me here in the pilot tv podcast buttock crevice are my two sedentary co-hosts first up a woman who soaks up depressing working-class dramas like a plant soaks up sunlight, transforming them into outpourings about the class divide in a process scientists refer to as misery synthesis. It's Terry White.
1: (laughs) Hi, James.
0: Hello. How's your misery this week?
1: Well, you're giving me more misery because I really don't want to be in a buttock crevice with you and Boyd.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll have you know, many of our listeners would love to share a buttock crevice with me.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. You're very specific fan base on social media (laughs) I'm sure would love to be in a buttock crevice with you probably watching Battlestar Galactica yes I'd I'd like to pass personally
2: really on the Battlestar Galactica
0: oh good good thanks was
1: right there Boyd it it? was right there it was right
0: there you're off your game you're off your game Uh, you've just heard him but with us this week dialing in from his penthouse in the heart of London an apartment from which he never leaves and in which he never sleeps, gazing sphinx-like at walls of glowing screens as he quietly absorbs every television program in existence simultaneously. He is the one who watches. He who misses nothing. A TiVo in human form. It is Boyd, the all-seeing. Hello, Boyd. TiVo. That's that's an old school reference. It's a very yeah. American <laughs> reference. I wondered whether because I was thinking, oh, so, oh, TiVo. Well, that's an American thing. What's the British equivalent to TiVo? And I struck out. I was like, I. Is there one? I don't know. Like it was like it's an HDR yeah. or something, isn't it? It never really
2: took off here, no, did it? it? Didn't. So it's Sky Plus or Sky Q. Yeah, it's like, it's on your Sky box. Yeah. yeah. But TV yeah. never became a thing here. No. No. Still, good on you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> the sacrifices I make in the uh, yeah on the altar of stupid introductions. Yeah, I must admit, Boyd, you you are. I, I discussed things with my mum actually because uh, obviously my mum listens to this podcast and she you. that Boyd he loves everything and I said yes, yes he does. I said but I think it's for the same reason that certain sort of critics on Empire often think uh, 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 quite like a lot of things because when you watch literally everything. In the world, the bar is artificially lowered because there's so much shit out there that surely then the good things seem twice as good yeah. by comparison. I can't believe true? your mum
2: slagging me off on the podcast. So, you like, off. I mean <laughs> Yeah, off. That's it. my mum is throwing that, shade at you, it's charming. I mean, Mrs. Dyer, I apologize. I, I, and I don't like everything. I didn't like that sky comedy thing, Code 4. And I instantly felt guilty about that, by the way. Because I know like honestly. I'm not going to, oh, all right, I'm going to say now, someone DM'd me who, who let's just say, is associated with that show. And I was like, I'm sorry, I just didn't think it was that funny. And, you know, I felt really bad about it. And they're like, can you watch more? You know, I'm like, oh, all right. You know, these are this the situations I get myself in. But
0: it's, it's nice because you are the yin to Terry's yang. And I think that, uh, that works quite well.
1: I think well, I like to. I was thinking the other day, do I like too much stuff? Am I, have I become too positive? But I think it's also because I'm watching so much television at the moment, like, yeah. and I and I do, I much prefer to talk about things I love than than to sit on social media and slag off things I don't like. Yeah, oh, same, um, yeah, same. It's a waste of, of breath and air. Um, and there is, you know, so much amazing stuff to watch. But yeah, I was like, oh my God, have I somehow become too positive? How did this happen?
0: I think you're fine.
1: Okay. <laughs> I okay. think
0: that's a danger that maybe isn't really present. But it, it is very personal, these things, aren't they? Like, we get, we get, like, I got some, some, uh, a question actually came in for a listener, which I did not pick for this week uh, because I didn't see it until later. But they were talking about, um, he was talking about Afterlife. And uh, he was saying that, uh, you know, enjoyed Afterlife, but did not. L- like the fat jokes at all i found them very offensive and that they were very very omnipresent and i think he found them quite offensive and his point was you know have you ever found something that you really thought was good but this there was a deal breaker in there that just really turned you off it and which i think that was for him and obviously for me that was clearly breeders um which again i can't mm. say that it was badly acted, i can't even say it was badly written but i just the tone of it just made me want to kill it with fire what was what it boy boy there must be some of you there must be a show that you saw that you really liked but something in there was a deal breaker there was a thing a thing that pushed um, you over
2: the edge uh, do you know what that no that really rarely happens in fact i can actually deal with like a, a major something that strikes me as being that's pretty borderline offensive If you're talking mm. about you know something like that like afterlife making having jokes about fat people or or, or oh, you you God, took against man. the way that the parents dealt with their kids stand on the TV
1: like telly turned itself on <laughs> like
2: <laughs> that was a trying. comment I was about see
0: this is taking Terry's Terry's lack of interest in what either of us yeah. are saying to a <laughs> yeah, 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 whole yeah. new exactly. level yeah. normally she just yawns does her emails yeah. in which way. now she's actively watching telly while we're talking Honestly,
1: Yeah. Remote was that's remote there how did that sure. even happen yeah. sure it's like I willed it into being with my yeah. man carry on Boyd
2: sorry about that my bottom line is nothing ever offends me and like nothing Honestly. So, I mean, obviously, there's, like, right-wing bullshit things, but mm. I just don't watch... I'm not going to watch any of that, you know. I mean, if I start watching, I don't know, David Icke on YouTube, <laughs> but I'm not going to start doing that. So, but in terms of, like, drama or comedy on, on television, I just, no, nothing ever really offends me. So, even if something is kind of offensive, I just, like, you know, part that and, and try and deal with the rest of it, basically. That seems fair. Well, that segues nicely into what we have been watching this week. And what have you both been watching? I... Have been watching. I've watched all of Gangs of London, so we reviewed it a couple of weeks ago. the The ninety minute opening episode, and I watched two or three more. I think before we reviewed it. There's nine episodes in total. Um, I finished the whole thing a couple of days ago. Um, I tweeted about episode episode. First of all, it is absolutely incredible. I think it's I think it's shot into my top three of the year. So the fifth episode, which is only one of two episodes that Gareth Evans actually directed himself, the first and the fifth, I think. Um, is like almost like a standalone um, flashback episode. It's like this gigantic raid attack, and it is unbelievable, absolutely brilliant, beautiful bit of television. And that, and ev- and everyone's like, yeah, that episode five is astonishing. Mm. And then, it, but then it just gets crazier and crazier, more insane and operatically over the top in terms of the violence. It's, it's by far the most violent thing that's ever been on television. This this series is more violent than most ultra-violent horror films that I've ever seen. And I'm happy to watch any level of violence in any horror film ever. It is incredible, the level of violence. Painful stuff that I couldn't watch, and I can pretty much watch everything. The torture scenes alone, I mean, anyway. And then it builds to this unbelievably insane climax. I I can't give anything away, but it it involves like things, explosions, the like of which uh, you've never seen on TV. And it builds to this real, and then it goes off into something slightly different at the end. I'm presuming it will be back. That's no, I mean, mm. it, it can definitely come back. They're definitely setting it up, but it kind of has a, a bit of a reset, if you like, at the end. It is extraordinary. So I absolutely loved it. It is it is an incredible show.
0: I mean, it's a bold move, isn't it? Because you've got to wonder whether that level of ultraviolence is going to alienate a large chunk right. of the audience, especially at the current time.
2: Yeah, well... um, Sue Perkins tweeted me saying, "Oh, you know, I watched the first episode and I loved it, but I could barely deal with the violence." Can I, yeah. I'm like, "It gets worse. That is nothing, honestly. It gets, it's incredible. The number of exploding heads in the show. <laughs> I think I've never seen a show with that many exploding heads, but they do it in such a way that it's really repellent. There's a very like, there's a. I think it's making a whole comment on violence in a way. You know, I'm sure Gareth Evans is a, is is an expert on the whole thing, but the way it, so it's it doesn't feel gratuitous, even though it absolutely is all about <laughs> the violence." And yet, you really feel it. Every you re- so I, I feel it. Kind of is justified. I don't. F- and it's not. And it kind of. It's not joking. It's not jokey. It's not cartoonish mm. about the violence. It's got a very interesting take on it. I think. But just. I think the writing generally is really good. I think the, the dialogue is great. I think the characters are, are fascinating. Really interesting. So I think it's brilliant. And quickly, I want to mention the Westworld finale, which I did not enjoy. I, I'm now really Ooh. getting annoyed with Westworld. Interesting. Yeah. I just feel like. For me, like every question it's asking this show about artificial intelligence and free will has been answered by devs. Uh, so it's partly my devs' love. And I feel like devs has de- dealt with this stuff in a much more believable, less deliberately complicated, annoying mm. way. I feel like Westworld, it's just descended into this morass where everyone's got 5,000 different persona and I'm not sure which one's interacting with which. And it's getting a bit goofy for my, my liking Westworld. Mm. I think it's like this like goofy territory of like, just endless fighting between different versions of the same character. And I'm not quite sure why they're all fighting each other to what end. So that I didn't, I didn't particularly... I'm not enjoying... The, they've definitely got another season, haven't they? And, yeah. And th- there's
0: been some interesting discussion about this. It's one of these things where this, is, this has been on my list to watch, but I can't face watching it right that's not like, good is it <laughs> but but this is the whole thing it's like it's it, and i think westworld had this kind of problem for me since season two where there are individual episodes where you're like this is extraordinary television this episode is amazing so why am i bored off my tits like what how are these things existing simultaneously that this is amazing television and yet i am out of my mind with boredom and and i just i, I don't know what it is about that show that just doesn't you can look at it objectively like a fine piece of art but it doesn't speak to me emotionally it doesn't draw me in i don't really care what's going to happen next and i I think that's why i'm where i'm struggling yeah like me and devs
2: (laughs) like
0: you and devs (laughs) yes
2: yes like you and devs and everything else i like (laughs) but you used to love westworld didn't you terry yes do you have you are you still with it
1: well i'm exactly where james is which is uh i used to really love westworld but it is a bit of a mental slog and when it came to this time around um i i think that it started just as i had the baby like yeah. literally the same week or something and then once you're a couple of weeks behind on westworld it just feels like the most herculean <laughs> task to try and watch two episodes to catch up i was like i've literally just had a baby wrenched out of my body I'm not sure I have the capacity to deal with two hours of Westworld and yeah. now the entire thing's gone past and it just seems like such a task to watch the entire thing and exactly what James just said which is I'm just not sure I can face it.
2: Well I have faced I have been keeping up with it and and um, almost like against my will I feel like my only will <laughs> <laughs> has been taken away. Um, I mean partly I, I, I took part in the official you know podcast about it with Lauren Laverne who does a great job and you know that is brilliant there researchers on that fill in all, a lot of the gaps. So if they could, if they could so that he- listening to that helped a lot, but watching it on its own as, as a show, it's just, it's so confusing. And you're like, who's making the rules here? What you're, you're just making this stuff up as you go along, and you've created the most confusing plot line ever. To what end? So the, that alone irritated me massively. So I found the wow. whole thing, I'm finding the whole thing deeply irritating.
0: But do you not find, like, my to-watch list never goes down, it only ever goes up? And there are things on there which I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. And I've looked back on it recently thinking, I'm never going to that it's just not going to happen and i think we just we again we live in this age where there's so much great television that good television and certainly average television just has to be cast aside because no one has that kind of time and you just can't carry on with them and shows that i would have watched religiously in the noughties now I just don't even get a in because they're just yeah. not good enough yeah and it's happening a lot and it's accelerated i think more since we even since we started doing this podcast i think it's it seems to be exponential it's accelerating at such a rate as more and more tv shows come out that you've got to really stand out from the pack to actually be worth people's time. Is it
2: like a virus? We've got to flatten the curve. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. got to flatten of, of TV. the TV curve
0: is what we've got to do. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, the virus may ultimately, because this is going to slow down production massively, isn't it? Well, like yeah. you're going to, yeah. We're going to hit a lull in yeah. TV production where stuff yeah. isn't coming out. And yeah. at that point
2: maybe we can all catch up on Westworld yeah. <laughs> because really it's going to take that. I presume you're going to mention Homeland finale. I am, yes. So I, I, what I say now is I did like that. I did enjoy that. Um, And my final thing I'm going to mention is the Joe Seinfeld Netflix special, 23 hours hours to live is, is 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 if you'd like jerry it's fant- it's a fantastic hour of pure jerry stand-up and and that was a massive tonic um which arrived on in the middle of the week i loved it very good i haven't seen um, that but yes as you mentioned homeland was a thing so i stayed up most of monday night to watch homeland
0: i just thought it. I've got seven hours of this to go. I'm just going to power on through. And I just, all evening and a long way into the night, I watched the rest of Homeland. And I have to say, it was really fucking good. Mm. Uh, Homeland's a really interesting show in that it's had its ups, it's had its downs. It started really strong. It's, again, it's one of these shows where very few shows I think have been so in the zeitgeist and then so out of it. Like, this is a show that everyone talked about, everyone was watching. And now. At its finale, no one is watching, no one is talking about, few people even know it's still on. And and that's a real shame because I think when Damian Lewis's character, when like after that first season ended and no one really knew what to do with that character, I think it went off the boil. But I think it reinvented itself. And the German season was a really good one. The previous season to to this last one was was good. It wasn't wasn't fantastic. They had a weird Trumpian presidency thing going on. But this one was really good and it was all about the Taliban, it's all about peace in Afghanistan and sort of dealing with uh with the sort of geopolitical arena in that area, and about her and her relationships. And that's what I think they understood in this. I'm not going to go through any spoilers, so if anyone hasn't seen it, don't worry about this. I, I think what what has always been central to this show is her relationships with the people around her, especially Saul Berenson, played by Mandy Patinkin. And um, they did such a good job with this. And I have rarely been as tense watching television as I was watching this final season. And I thought the final episode of this was a truly great finale, like a truly great, almost a perfect finale for this show. Like, I can't think of any way they could have done it better. I thought it was a masterpiece. So I think if you have fallen out of touch with Homeland, if you have drifted away from it, as every other person in the world has go back to it. Watch this final season. You know what? Watch all the ones you missed, but watch maybe the end of the previous season and this one, because it does pick up directly from where the previous one ends. But there's a lot going on here and there's a lot to love. And I think Claire Danes does such a good job on this one. And a lot of people who I think got bored of the whole, oh, she's off a of medication, we're going through this again. Like they've... they've- shelved that for this season it's uh, still about her and she still is very sort of blinkered very driven and and very sort of almost singular in her focus where everything else falls by the wayside and that's part of her charm but um, yeah I think great show great finale I, I encourage people to return to it but that that is not the only thing i have been binging this week so i went straight from that and was bereft i was like this is finished what am i going to do i know i'm going to watch war of the
2: world go to say terry's face was brilliant said. <laughs> no, Listeners, the- you cannot see terry's face of incredulity i mean- no, james went back to war of the Worlds.
1: <laughs> why i'm just glad
0: she didn't turn on the telly um <laughs> Because it's great. I'm not I don't mean the award it's not the BBC one, so the, the Trey Francais FX one. The really long one. Yeah, which is a co-production with Canal Plus. So this uh Daisy Edgar Jones starts in this as a blind girl, uh, who becomes key to the plot in this. And I like to think of this as an unofficial continuation of normal people, where things really go to shit for Marianne after <laughs> Connell gets eaten by aliens. But that's this is this is for me, this is the continuation of that story. Yeah, she's lost her accent, but we try not to dwell on that. And she can't see and she can't see she's gone blind aliens yeah. boy aliens she's gone blind <laughs> yes. she can't see Connell's dead it's all changed for her it's all gone to shit but she's really really good in it this is a hell of a year for her actually to come off this which I think was underlooked uh, underlooked overlooked can you be underlooked <laughs> is <Isn't> that <laughs> the beginning of the Womble theme tune I'm very confused <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> underlook, overlook Wombling Free um, <laughs> this has been very overlooked and underlooked and whatever you like uh, and I don't think enough people saw it but it's it's a really good series and she's very very good in it and i do think these two back-to-back showcase she's definitely destined for much bigger things but this is this is really really full-on and i think watching it during lockdown is particularly grueling because it's unrelentingly bleak so it's parents watching children die parents killing themselves like everyone dying like it's really 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 bleak and it's all people just locked in their homes hiding from the aliens and what makes this particularly bad is you know i don't know if you ever uh, on Twitter and stuff you see those little videos of the uh, Boston Dynamics robots you know the robot dogs that open doors and carry things you must have seen them the little videos mm. of those robots the aliens are basically the Boston Dynamics robots <laughs> to the point where they look <laughs> identical to them so you can really believe that these things have broken out of the fucking development lab there and have just taken over the world and are killing everyone and it's it's really full on Gabriel Burns uh, a lot of fun in this as well and I'm up to the last episode I haven't watched the last one so don't know how it ends hopefully well and we'll see is this continuing series boy do you know? Yes. Yeah, it it's
2: been re- yeah. There's going to be yeah, a second good. series, so I,
0: really good. Like, and it shows how to do this right. I also, and I don't know how this ends uh, or how it will end, but obviously the traditional ending of War of the Worlds is that it's basically a coronavirus that kills the aliens. So you know, it could be quite oh, yeah. pertinent as well. So I saw that, and I really enjoyed that. And the last thing I saw was Becoming on Netflix, which is the Michelle Obama documentary oh, yeah. Yeah. uh about it talks about his charts uh it, i think kicks off the framing device as her book tour for her book becoming uh but there's footage of her talking very candidly with lots of african-american students and what it means to people and it's it's really interesting like it's a bit where she sits down in a church uh with a bunch of older black women and they're telling what it meant to them to see her and barack obama in the white house and how they never thought in their lifetime they would see someone who looked like them in charge of the country and it's 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 incredibly moving and in how she talks to uh, inspiring sort of children and students and she, she charts the journey of what it was for her to be in the White House from her perspective and how how she went through it I found it really really interesting and there's a bit where she's on a she's talking to a, a it's like a being interviewed on stage she's saying you know she was trying to get her kids out of the White House on the, uh, on the morning of uh, you know the, the handover when they were leaving the White House she's like come on kids come on the Trumps are coming we need to leave <laughs> and it was just like like It spoke volumes. And I think she was never going to go scorched earth on Trump. Like That was never going to happen. She's classy and it doesn't make any sense. But there was a part where you kind of felt like that's the only thing missing from this documentary. Like you wanted the context because it's such a severe shift from one administration to another and you almost want that to be explored even though you know that really it's not something they can cover but i enjoyed that i would have thought i'm surprised you haven't seen that terry that struck me as a quite you thing to watch
1: why because it's about a woman
0: yes terry that's exactly (laughs) what no terry because you hoover up every single documentary on netflix without pity or remorse
1: I do, and there are a couple of Netflix ones, actually, that I really want to watch at the moment. But we all know what I've been watching this week, don't we?
0: Too Hot to Handle, which is having a reunion special,
2: I noticed. <laughs> That's brilliant that you know that. Line
1: of Duty, season four, <laughs> okay. oh, yeah. which okay. is basically the same as Too Hot to Handle. Um, <laughs> this is the um, Sandy Newton season of Line of Duty. It did occur to me this week that I've now watched 24 hours of Line of Duty <laughs> in the wow. last three and a half weeks, which does seem excessive, but... Um, But, oh, my God, she is just incredible, absolutely incredible in this. And it actually reminded me of, like, because I think we talked about it on the last um, season of Line of Duty is – Kind of how Vicky McClure maybe felt like she didn't have as much to do with Mm. her character as she normally did. And she's so vital in those early seasons. She's just incredible. But yeah, so I've I've just been staying up all night and all day watching Line of Duty. So season five next week. I'm really excited.
0: Amazing.
1: And then Killing Eve. And did I talk about episode three last week? I can't remember if I did or if I dreamt it. I think you did.
0: I think, well, you talked about that you'd pressed on with it and that you didn't, as we said, we were disappointed with the first two, but you said that you were happier.
1: Right. Well, Now I'm unhappy again. Right. So, Killing Eve season four. Obviously, they're dropping it episodically um, the day after it airs in the states, which I was kind of. Part of me was frustrated with, but actually, um, I think it's good because it's it's forcing me to kind of properly get into each episode. Now, episode four does something really weird. This isn't a spoiler thing. This is kind of a thing about um, the structure of it. And Boyd, I don't know if you've seen episode four. But no. it's kind of this weird um, nonlinear structure where they divide it by. It's almost like chap almost like Tarantino-esque chapters. The chapters are characters. So normally, where it comes up with a massive title card saying where it is in the world. It now comes up with a massive title card that says the character name and you follow just that character's perspective for a segment and then it moves on to the next one. But obviously, because it goes by character, it's not linear because you jump around. And I have to say, I found it really confusing that in the middle of a series, you'd kind of drop this completely different episode structure and construction um and it really didn't work for me it really slowed down the pace and I think Killing Eve is all about pace the pace Mm. of the the kills and how they punctuate the character work whereas this almost became all character work um with the odd kill and it, it it just felt really out of kilter to me so after being so kind of excited by episode three and thinking it was getting back on track episode four totally, I found it like, actually there were bits where it dragged and it felt a bit boring, which is like the last thing Killing Eve should ever, ever be. And it's actually the last thing it ever really is. And I found my attention drifted and found it really hard to get through, but I kind of stopped and started it twice to get through to the end. And I'm going to keep persevering on because I am determined that this is going to be good, whether it likes it or not. But- yeah, I was I was super super disappointed again this week. It's a roller coaster between me and Killing <laughs> See, Eve. You're
0: not making me want to pick it up again. I've got to be honest. I know. This is falling oh. into the West World bin yeah. very
2: rapidly. I liked episode three as well, but I think I, and I need to watch episode four. But it's not a good sign, is it, when they're kind of using effectively like a gimmick? Yeah. In the middle of a run, which sounds like what they do in the affair, which they did in the yeah. affair all the way through, yeah. wasn't it? They had the the characters character then it would be from their point of view but to suddenly go for that yeah it doesn't it's not promising um, method
0: no okay well time now for a listener question and this week's question comes from a lovely lovely listener a person whose name i may or may not have accidentally <laughs> forgotten to write down so if you sent in this question thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you anonymous person whose name i forgot uh, but anonymous <laughs> right i'm loving the last kingdom after your recommend thank you and my pleasure uh podcast question in season three we meet Canute, who is a bit of a Canute. uh which are the very fitting character names in tv series do you love so apologies for forgetting your name which makes me a bit of a Canute. but uh <laughs> would anyone like to jump on this one
2: Terry. <laughs> okay,
1: so, I mean, this was quite a hard question, yeah. I have to say. Um, what a question. Uh, so, there's the obvious ones, all right. There's porn stash in Orange is the New Black <laughs> with a pawn stash, flea bag. Dr. Beardface in Scrubs. I know he actually says he calls himself Beard Fusay. But um, I actually chose to willfully misinterpret this question by actually (laughs) just choosing my favourite character names. Not necessarily the most fitting, which are pretty much all in Gavin and Stacey because they're all Hmm. named after uh, famous British serial killers. So you have Stacey West, Gavin Shipman, Peter and Dawn Sutcliffe, um, which is just, they're just deployed at brilliant moments in the show during specific episodes. And it's just like a genius touch who thinks to name all of their main kind of characters in a a comedy that's quite broad at times after very famous British serial killers.
0: I had no idea that was a thing. Oh.
1: oh, James.
2: Well, at least he's learned something. Yeah, I mean, like I've good. watched
0: one episode of the series, which I quite enjoyed, but I, I've not seen any other, so I wouldn't know that. But that, I did not know that. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. a good fact.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I have willfully misinterpreted the question, but I've given you some good facts. So
2: Yeah, I've kind of misinterpreted it as well, because there aren't that many that are going to be that, like, that similar to the Knut thing, are there? Like, there's no, you know. So I've gone for very well-named characters who kind of – reflect their personality like like so i mean basil 40 that kind of works isn't it basil 40 was a brilliantly named character who obviously is faulty, and they <laughs> constantly faulty <laughs> towers <laughs> you know they had the misspelling of that joke everywhere that running joke so you'd have flowery twats written on the um <laughs> written on the thing as you went as you went in the hotel so basil 40 is an all-time great but there's loads of great comedy characters like Frazier and niles crane are brilliantly named i think like they absolutely sum up the kind of you know aspiring poshness of Fraser and Niles in that show. Um, Liz Lemon, I think, is brilliantly named in Thirty a Rock. One. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Cliff Claven in Cheers. Cliff Claven is such <laughs> a Cliff, and he's like that nerdy kind of tedious thing that he's got. That that name, I think, is brilliant. Um, and Jon Snow, of course, who spent the whole time walking around in the snow John in snow. Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, it was like literally, yeah, winter is coming and he's going to be there in the middle of winter for the whole fucking thing. And he's called Jon Snow. You will
0: know that uh, Snow is, of course, the uh, omnipresent bastard name for all children born in the north in the Seven Kingdoms, Uh, much like the others, sands, stone, flowers, uh, depending on which part of the Seven Kingdoms you're from. Of course.
2: And finally, um, <laughs> Kramer in Seinfeld. For years, there was a whole thing about Kramer's name. So you, you, or he was just referred to as Kramer for the whole, for, for, for like the first half of Seinfeld, the first three or four seasons. And then suddenly there's a whole episode revolving around finding out his name because his mother arrives, who's crazy, and she reveals that his first name is Cosmo. And that causes the whole thing. Everyone's like falling about. And it just seems the perfect name for him because it's kind of like spacey and, you know, he's a spaced out figure. So Cosmo Kramer was a brilliant name as well. No, you go. That's my interpretation of this really That's weird good.
0: question. <laughs> it was. I must admit, well, hey, I volunteered to change the question if you didn't like it, but yeah. Terry was like, no, I need my canutes. That's because so- you
1: gave us an equally like <laughs> <Yeah>. challenging question.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry for making you do research for the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. saying the answer to this question unfortunately lies very much in the source material which is all the best names are the Viking names you cannot beat the Viking oh. names like if a guy comes on his name is Sigurd Bloodhair. like and there's no part of you that's saying is he the villain I'm not sure like absolutely he is which I think is great but the other Viking names are great as well like Ragnar Lothbrok that's a great name Bjorn Ironside these are these are. Uh, yeah I should have been a Viking they're fucking great but yes otherwise I, I enjoyed Buffy Summers as a name because it was that idea that, that she was supposed to be this sort of like blonde empty headed cheerleader trope subverted to become a slayer and the sort of guardian of humanity I thought that was a fun nice bit of naming there Mr Carson from Downton Abbey just because there's something comforting and lovely about mr carson uh i think that's a good name black jack randall from outlander he was a villain don't know if that was given away in any way um who else is there al swearingen arguably the sweariest Mm. man on tv was named al swearingen uh i think that's that's good too yeah Yeah, that's good and that's a that's a pretty solid name but i'm sure there are loads of these but i can't think of them off the top of my head the cigarette smoking man from x files that was quite on the nose (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> do we ever find out his actual name yeah it's i believe if memory serves it's cbg or cgb spender oh okay it's his full name yes indeed right. and he's Mulder's dad isn't he that's the uh that's oh, the yeah, big yeah. spoiler yeah. for the x-files <laughs> <laughs> spoiler. gigantic spoiler. spoiler gigantic yeah. spoiler for the x-files sorry guys <laughs> sorry guys i mean statute of limitations i'm saying is left anyway anyway sorry Person whose name I forgot. <laughs> if your name had been Canute, I would have remembered it. Uh that was this week's question. If you would like your question answered, feel free to DM it to at Pilot TV Mag on or around midweek where I'm most likely to see it. On now to news. Where we found out some exciting Tiger King news this week, didn't we, Terry?
1: Nicholas Gage, <laughs> the oh, yes. most appropriate piece of casting possibly in the history of casting, which is um, Nicolas Cage is set officially to be Joe Exotic. So we've had a couple of these so far, which have been rumors around Rob Lowe and Kevin Bacon in various either film or limited series adaptations, but nothing official apart from this one, which is definitely happening. Um, So he will be Joe Exotic for a new limited series. Um, It is by the showrunner of American Vandal, Dan Lagana, I want to say, who's going to oversee it. It's in development. It's actually based on a Texas monthly article called Joe Exotic, A Dark Journey into the World of a Man Gone Wild, which I actually think was optioned last year before the documentary. Um, And apparently it's now out for kind of, for pitching at various network streaming services. So I imagine this will be fiercely bid upon. I mean, because there can be nothing more perfect than. I mean, I'm surprised he isn't actually Joe Exotic. Has anybody ever seen them in the same room together? No, mm. they haven't.
2: It's pure Raising Arizona Nick Cage, oh my isn't God. it? That's just, yeah. It's spot on. Yeah. We well, uh. could have Joe Exotic playing Nick Cage in a, in a, in a TV <laughs> miniseries. That would be just as valid, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is the closest I'm going
0: to come to actually watching Tiger King. Why are you refusing to watch it again? Because it's just not for me, is it, boy? Uh, right. It's not for me. I'm sure it's very good. Like, everyone seems to be thinking it's brilliant. So I'm sure it is.
2: But- well, it's an incredible s- story, yeah. Well, yeah. someone pointed out, I think it might have been David Badil, said um, when this was announced on Twitter that there is almost no point in making a fictional show out of this story and I kind of know what he means yeah because like, like, it's already ridiculous yeah over the top. It's so we know everything I mean there's loads you know there's so much in the in the series there's you know relentless amount of information about him and his associates and his husbands and all of that so it's difficult to see how any miniseries could I don't know improve upon what we know about them but you know I'll have an open mind.
0: What else has happened? Uh, We talked last week, Boyd, you will recall, about the Parks and Recreation special. Mm. Um, We were like, we don't know when it's coming to the UK. Well, no need to wonder any longer for it is on YouTube. NBC put it on their YouTube channel, so you should be able to see that now. And I believe there's some extended cuts of some of their particular aspects on there as well. So uh, Parks and Rec Reunion special is now available online
2: uh ricky gervais confirmed there will be a third series of afterlife which i think is brilliant news he kind of he hinted at it in our in our interview with him that you know for the first because he's never done a third series of any of his shows before famously does two series and a special of everything from going back to the office and beyond so i think i think i think i think afterlife could go on for years and years and years if he wanted it to um so it makes total sense i think but is is brilliant news
0: yeah, that's good. That's very good stuff. Uh, do you see that Mike Flanagan's doing an adaptation mm. of The Midnight Club? Which is always good to see him getting stuff done. I can't wait to see Horting and Bly Manor. Do we know if that's been delayed? Do we know? I mean, everything's been delayed. But do we know when that's dropping, Bly Manor?
2: No, but I don't think it's been delayed. I think they've finished filming, but Good. I may be
0: making that up. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, this is uh, based on a Christopher Pike book from 94, and it's set in a Rotterdam home. It's like a hospice for terminally ill teenagers, uh, and a group of patients begin to gather together at midnight to share scary Stories and the group make a pact that whichever of them dies first will contact the others from beyond the grave. We should do that on this podcast. So <laughs> whichever one of us dies first will come back on the podcast and I don't know review the expanse from beyond the grave.
1: <laughs> oh God! Wow. Yeah. Please the let it be James from
0: yeah. the expanse. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. James from the from the hereafter? That would be yes, quite I an extraordinary.
1: <laughs> I don't think I don't think death is going to stop you, James. Explaining. Let's be no. frank. Yeah. If any yeah. think it will make you worse
0: <laughs> yeah you won't be able to get away from me i'll just materialize in your room and start banging on about picard
1: i look forward to it did you see the um <laughs> did you see the kind of non-news but still news um about this is england 2000 mm. which yeah. is um andrew shim who plays milky in this is england the film and the tv shows and um, he does this youtube interview show and he interviewed uh director shane meadows Which he did, apparently, I think about a month ago. But nobody really noticed it, I don't think. Because in there, he asked Shane about doing another This Is England. There's often been rumours about whether he would. Obviously, he did the film. Then he did the three TV series. So you had 86, 88, and finally 90. And what he actually said on there was that um, he's got a This Is England 2000 in his head. Mm. Um, He said he didn't know kind of when or what it would kind of be about but he said he he has it in his head which is very exciting um because thinking about all those characters you know a decade after we last left them you know how I feel about both Shane Meadows and This Is England um so this is super exciting It kind of got reported everywhere this week and I think uh, the people who who run Shane Meadows' Twitter account kind of tweeted, oh, so you finally <laughs> listened to it then. Somebody finally <laughs> listened to this interview. Um, but Vicky McClure tweeted and said, oh, I like the sound of this. So um, I have everything crossed and I'm hoping and I'm praying that this becomes... Reality, Yeah, and
2: I think Joe Hartley did as well, didn't she? She referred yeah.
1: to it. yeah, Oh, yeah. But you can't wait particularly, can't James, wait.
0: I'm looking forward to This Is England 3000, where it takes place in a sort of cyberpunk future where skinheads go around doing things with robots.
1: Doing what with robots? What? I don't
0: know. <laughs> Whatever happens in This Is England? Assuming for the sake of argument that I've, I don't know, never watched it. yeah um, <laughs> I speaking of, which, speaking of Speaking of the future, uh, have you seen The Right Stuff is moving to Disney Plus? Mm. There's, a, there's an adaptation of The Right Stuff that's been in the work for a while, uh, and that is now no longer going to National Geographic, but going to Disney Plus, which is no huge shock, given that they now own National Geographic. Um, are you, Terry, are you a fan of The the Right Stuff, the film? Uh,
1: so, I thought you meant... The, <laughs> the Right Stuff. You know the Matthew Wright Channel 5... <laughs>
2: oh yeah James
1: yes,
0: it's coming like, to disney plus it's all new all improved and now has astronauts I, I,
1: I was like oh my god that's fairly weird i'm surprised <laughs> that james knows about that because you know it doesn't particularly seem like something <laughs> he'd be into or he'd think we should discuss on this podcast matthew right on
2: yeah, disney plus see. would be incredible yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> Though I refer, of course, to the adaptation of the Philip Kaufman film of 1983. Um, have you seen it? It's got um, it's Dennis Quaid, Ed Harris and yeah. Sam Shepard, yeah, like, and a bunch I of hope, other people. Yeah. 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 The, the Tom Wolfe book, more to the point. Yes, yeah. yes, which yes. it's based on. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, no, I like that. I watched that film before I saw Interstellar because I think it was a big mm. influence on that one. It's so, a brilliant um, film. I love that um, film. I came to it quite late, yeah. but Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's very good. It's long as well. It's fucking long. Yeah. yeah, it's really fucking long. You get into space quicker.
2: We've got a confirmed date for Snowpiercer. Have you seen that finally? Netflix has admitted that it is coming (laughs) because it's May 25th soon. So that, is that no next way. week? It's the week after next. So we're reviewing it in um, in the, the week after next podcast. Yeah, but yeah, it's exciting that it's finally arriving. Yeah, that is very and weirdly exciting. that's the same the very same day. Well, not weirdly. Clearly, the distributors have worked it out that the um, they're re- officially releasing the DVD and Blu-ray of the film in this country, which has never happened. Finally, finally. how long has yeah, that well, taken since the film came out? Whenever the fuck that was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, boy, for that very <laughs> accurate answer. <laughs> <Pleasure>. <laughs> And have you watched the trailer for *The Great*? Do you know about *The Great*, starring Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt, which is um, Hulu's series about Catherine the Great, younger Catherine the Great? So you know we had Helen mm-hmm. Mirren as Catherine the Great recently. Yeah. Um, this has been on Hulu, and it's coming to Stars Play in June. But the trailer is really good. Um, it stars Elle Fanning as, as Catherine the Great, and Nicholas Holt as her first husband, who's a complete twat. And it's written by the guy who wrote the favourite, or one of the two people who wrote the favourite. So it's got that tone of a, a kind of knowing, satirical um, period thing, rather than being fusty period. It's a kind of out-and-out comedy. It looks really good. Mm. Yeah. Okay, interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I hope it's great. <laughs> um <laughs> other things that have been happening so the mandalorian has had a few we finished our final spoiler special breakdown of the finale of the mandalorian over on the empire spoiler special subscription channel this week or rather last week when this goes out uh which was a lot of fun but season two several things we have found out season two will not be delayed it is in the can it is not going to have been COVIDed. we will still get it towards the tail end of this year uh and robert rodriguez has directed an episode he was very excited to have returned the child baby yoda to our screens which is pretty cool uh that's very excited about also peyton reed has also been confirmed as a as a director who's going to be working on the new season so that's uh that's good stuff it's good so i go. Did either of you watch to the end of the mandalorian yes. no i loved it yeah <laughs> terry you shock me
1: <laughs> well i was planning to but then um i had 24 hours of line of duty to watch so what's fair. the
2: girl I meant to do that is fair um but I, I loved the series. I thought it was so so enjoyable, so entertaining, so br- mm. beautifully done. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, it's lovely. It's a really good soundtrack as well. So I enjoyed that. Bad news, though. CBS has pulled the plug on the Lincoln lawyer, which I'm a bit gutted about. Obviously, Lincoln lawyer, <laughs> Lincoln lawyer himself being Bosch's half-brother. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, CBS, we're going to have a, a Lincoln Lawyers based on, on... It was going to be a David E. Kelly show based on the Michael Connolly books. But uh, that's no longer happening. They have decided they are pulling the plug. It was in pre-production. It was ready to go. And they're not doing it anymore. So it has been kiboshed, if you will. Oh, my oh God. My I think God. only you care.
2: The world, <laughs> yeah, the world weeps.
1: weeps. The world weeps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh,
0: you know. Did you see the Good Omens thing? We've seen this little Good Omens lockdown little thing with the angel and the demon, Michael Sheen and no. uh, and David Tennant having a conversation while social distancing.
2: Was, you mean like especially they did a special little mini yeah, episode little thing. thing. Okay. Like
0: was, I think Neil Gaiman wrote it. It's fine. It's like it's, it's fine. not you know, you know, it's fine. It's like it's not it's not a massive all oh, okay. fest, but uh, it's out there. Should you wish to partake? Any other news, or are we done?
1: Well, so Normal People mm. broke all records for BBC Three, yes! um, which had previously been held by Killing Eve. Um, and they do it on this thing like viewer requests on iPlayer, which is I think is just people watching it on iPlayer. Yeah. Um, but they got 16.2 million in a week compared to, I think, the biggest for Killing Eve before being 10.8. But like, think about that. 16 million in a week is absolutely insane i mean well deserved and amazing and brilliant and i'm so glad that everybody's got great taste although i am slightly getting annoyed by the um unsurprising kind of there's been a few little uh, think pieces about why normal people isn't as good as everybody thinks it is and I would like to say to those people yes it (laughs) fucking is yeah
2: absolutely
0: (laughs) Uh, there have been a few people in my Twitter feed actually who've been quite negative to it for I'm sure valid reasons they didn't like it for one reason or another I think people I don't know some people I don't think were particularly enamoured with watching kind of a teenage relationship with lack of communication it's like oh why do we care about teenage romance I'm like I don't really know how to respond to that and I think some people have, have just I guess just have no soul, really. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Have no soul. A dead inside, really, yes. Some people are just cold stone husks of humanity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh takes one to no one, James.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although you no, you've I'm I'm enjoying your emotional connection with the show.
0: oh so good so much so i came very close to like saying i'm gonna watch this again i'm gonna i'm yeah, gonna me do it too. again and yeah. then i just thought i can't there's too much else to watch but i really want to watch it again but then what if i watch it again and it doesn't have the same I've watched the
2: first uh, four episodes twice How yeah. have you it definitely works someone's uh, partly the reason actually was someone one one of the criticisms i did think oh maybe there's got a point which i saw someone say was that there's no humor in it and I do think, je- ah, I know. But when you watch it, but there is. There really is, yeah. So I was just checking. I was double checking. Because obviously when you finish the whole thing, you're in a devastated emotional state um, mm-hmm. and you're recovering from all the drama of it. But actually when you watch it through, there is humour. It's subtle and it's not forced, but it's the humour of people who are naturally engagingly funny sometimes. So there's not like gags in it or anything, but there is definitely humour in it. I didn't
0: find the show dour no, at no. all. No. I didn't find it. And then that's I mean- the thing.
1: Levity, Levity isn't just about humor right levity is about nuance and and tone shifts and i didn't it wasn't oppressively it was devastating because it really dealt properly with the complex complexity of human emotions and as you said james the lack of communication fundamentally between people but it was like i mean there was definitely, I wouldn't say there was humor, but I'd say there's levity definitely yeah. in it. I don't need everything to be fucking funny. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I oh, mean, you may be the w-
0: wrong person to ask about this. <laughs>
1: I know, but I think if your criticism of, of normal people is that this incredibly crafted, like emotional human drama isn't funny enough, <laughs> then it, it feels a bit scraping the barrel to me. You know, also, there's no spaceships (laughs) in it, so, you know, what about
0: that? In fairness, that was an issue that I had written down. Not enough Expanse crossover material. Um, Yes, okay, so that is news. Well done to normal people. My favourite show of the year. Shall we move on to other shows in this week's reviews. We kick off this week with a breath of fresh air in the form of a new light-hearted comedy from HBO. <laughs> I Know This Much Is True stars Mark Ruffalo on hilarious form, playing his two separate roles in a kind of wacky, nutty, professor style as Dominic and his identical twin brother... Thomas. See, this is based on the acclaimed comedy by Wally Lamb and covers such well-warm, lolsome tropes as mental illness, involuntary incarceration, cancer, death, domestic abuse, and self-mutilation. In short, the perfect panacea for anyone needing a little lockdown pick-me-up. Isn't that right,
2: Boyd? <laughs> that, honestly, that's one of the funniest intros you've ever done. I'm, I'm cackling away here because is, this is, as you say, based on one of the bleakest not. You know, this novel, by the way, that came out in uh, in the late 90s by Wally Lamb, who is also an exec producer on the show, um, is a 900-page novel, right? Um, if you go back at so, it, and they've turned it into a mere, a mere six-hour miniseries. But I, my feeling is they probably couldn't go be, way beyond that because it's so intense and the subject matter is so relentlessly um, bleak, as you're, as you're alluding to. So this is written and directed by – how do you pronounce his name, by the way? Derek of <laughs> – CM France? CM France? France? Okay. CM France? Yeah, we can keep France. this bit in because no one knows how to pronounce his name, do they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines fame. And he does, I think those two films are both very intense, aren't they? Um, kind of quite grim in their own different ways, um, films. So he, this feels like the right subject matter. Mark Ruffalo plays these twins, Dominic and Thomas. Uh, one of them, um, yeah, is, has... Very, very extreme um, mental health issues. And the other one has a lot of his own issues as well. Um, uh, It's not necessarily explained in the opening episode, but he is like, he's got PTSD going on. He's got a, um, he has a very, um, he had a break from his first wife. And the reason for that will become clear later on as the show progresses. Um, And the very first scene in this, you'll know if you can take this series, in the very first scene where, um, shall we say, an extreme act um is committed by um uh Thomas Birdsey that character um and it's horrific and that act has repercussions that then um, play out over the rest of the series um because you know he's is suffering from schizophrenia but you know there is a, there is a hospital where he can stay where he works where he has a kind of concession to giving out coffee and stuff but that is all goes horribly wrong when he does something right at the beginning of the first episode as i said that plays out and it's then it's kind of a um it's kind of a drama that has these two twin brothers at the centre of it, but is exploring how families. The father, the stepfather, is a horrendous figure. How um, the interrelationships with the characters, um, how it impacts on their lives, and how little little incidents and little moments in people's lives impact, ripple out and have effect, have massive effect on them. Um, and it's all about the relationships that they have. In the first episode, I have to say, um, Dominic. Uh, Birdsey, the, the 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 main character who is who doesn't have schizophrenia, if you like, played. But you know the difference because one's got beard and the other hasn't, so you can easily tell which <laughs> is which. Um, he has this. Um, he suddenly develops this very quick um, relationship with a woman played by Juliette Lewis. And I have to say, Juliet Lewis goes hell for leather in this fucking characterization. I mean, she always is; she's extraordinary. Always going back to Cape Fear, I think. You know, she was incredible in Cape Fear, the remake with Robert De Niro. And she is giving it some. In a frankly, where she goes hysterical in the scene, in this central scene where she kind of arrives at his um, his house to kind of basically because she fancies him. He's hired her to translate his grandfather's memoir, and that scene was so over the top in a very interesting, compelling way, by the way. And I can't work out whether I thought it was ridiculous or, you know, I think actually it's good that this this show is going to go clearly hell for leather. And I'm not sure, after all this, I'm not sure what I think about it. I mean, I found it consistently fascinating, unbelievably grim, but I can always take grim and bleak stuff. But and I will carry on watching it, but i don 't feel yet it 's kind of i don 't feel yet it 's like absolutely incredibly special and great despite all the all the all the incredible credentials it 's got the acting the the writing director and all of that I feel there's something about it that I feel slightly contrived to me at the moment, but I am still going to carry on watching it
0: now i can 't see i 'm surprised i I would have thought Terry that this was so your bag like this was a show so earth-shatteringly miserable that I contemplated hurling my own face (laughs) through the TV screen at various points. And just because at the end of this episode, I was like, I can't even imagine where this goes next. I went on Wikipedia and read the entire synopsis of the novel and was like, oh my... (laughs) god what this is like it's like if you took misery and distilled it into like its purest form and made like a fucking cocktail out of it it would probably resemble something like this tv show which is the most depressing thing i genuinely think i've ever seen and should probably during this time of covid come with a fucking public health warning like what what what? this guy i mean Jesus Christ, like can you imagine like going to a party, you know, with Wally Lamb? Like he must be an absolute laugh riot. What Jesus Christ, I have no words for this show. Like the Juliette Lewis scene I enjoyed a lot because she's a Brilliant lunatic mm. in it, and it's just so over the top and completely off the rails. I thought that was fun. The hot fat for you, but Jeanette Lewis was one of the very first people I interviewed when I first came to work at Empire many, wow. many years ago, and she was delightful. Uh, she was playing a character in something called April Showers. True story. Um, Is that it?
1: Is that the extent of your fact?
0: <laughs> okay, it was more of a side fact <laughs> than a main fact. To think of it as a pleasant was- digression. I
1: thought it was going to be like you're weeing next to iced tea. No, <laughs> iced tea. no, I did not I take a wee next
0: to. Uh, next- <laughs> Get your rappers right, Terry. Uh, it was Ice Cube. Uh, no, I did not. We next to next to Juliette Lewis. I, I merely interviewed her in a hotel room. But um, I uh, <laughs> there's a point in this where where she asks Mark Ruffalo what he does for a living when she comes around the house. And he turns to her, he looks at her dead-eyed and just says, I paint houses. And to anyone who's Mm. seen The Irishman, I really thought this was going to take a really fucking different turn at that point. I was like, ooh, shit. Um, But no, it doesn't. It's just relentlessly bleak and miserable and makes you... And he does
2: literally paint houses, yeah. He's a painter.
0: He does literally paint houses. It, It just feels awash with existential angst and, and and misery and sort of there's no character in this that is well adjusted or happy as i said the stepfather is the worst kind of old school kind of old toxic masculine patriarchal role model who clearly has insecurity and self-worth issues and then takes that out by by dominating his dependents and his wife and stuff and just by being an asshole and then you've got one son with Paranoid schizophrenia, the other one with PTSD. Everyone is miserable. No one is happy. Mark Ruffalo, I'm almost certain, does not smile at any point during this episode. I mean, it was, it was, it was rough. It was, it was rough. <laughs> I haven't recovered. Terry, did you love it?
1: Well, okay. And I think this will probably be the first time I've ever said this or ever really felt this, which is it was almost unwatchable with its unrelenting misery mm. and not in a good way no. like i i found it really hard to watch and it wasn't because there was it's not like we've talked about it before there'll be things like say the virtues or say this mm. is england there are moments of such brutality and shock that it's hard to watch that this that wasn't it with this the tone of it is so unrelentingly miserable that it's just not a very enjoyable thing to watch. (laughs) And it's everything from, I mean, the color palette, it's like browns Mm, and grays mm. and the sky feels heavy. Every time you're outside, you're like, oh my God, is it going to be like a monsoon in a minute? I mean, what we should say is that he is, Ruffalo's incredible. I thought he managed to inhabit both characters kind of entirely differently Mm. while teasing out their commonalities as twins. So they look different. Their physicality, I think it's the way he carries both of them is different. Their gait, the rhythm of their speech. I, I mean, he's an incredible actor and it's an amazing performance, but that sense of oppressiveness I found really difficult um, and it's partly because of that, and it's partly because you know it's his inner, it's Dominic's inner monologue, which is beautifully written. There's so much of it; it's so lyrical and it's so poetic. But everything he says is so fucking depressing. <laughs> like you literally, it's like it's like you're in his head and inside his consciousness. But it's so grim that it, over an hour, I have to say, it's mm. really, really kind of tough going. And so while I admired his performance the Juliet Lewis thing I was really grateful for because it was so deranged it was a weird moment of levity even though I'm not sure yeah. it was supposed to be because she just loses without this isn't a spoiler to say like she loses her fucking shit and it's like a brilliant bit of almost a relief it was like when you cauterize whatever that word is a wound it felt a bit like that but I, I did find it really unrelentingly grim and not in a way that makes me particularly want to carry on watching it Oh God! because as Boyd says there was there was no kind of apart from Ruffalo's performances there wasn't anything so standout about it that you go I feel compelled Mm. to keep watching Mm. brilliant performance like beautifully done but um
0: keep it away from me not for
1: for me (laughs) thank you not in lockdown especially oh my god
0: this oppressive pall of misery just kind of draped over the entire narrative where you constantly have that sense of pressure that something awful is always about to happen. And even if it's not like an act of violence, it's not really that kind of misery. It's just that something bad is gonna happen and it's just gonna be another drip on the sort of relentless water torture existence that this guy has. And it's just really full on. And there's one point where he's walking down the street and it's like it's relatively pleasant street like you think what what could possibly be sad about this and then the soundtrack comes up with what I can only describe as dueling monks chanting <laughs> at each other <laughs> in a very aggressive and depressing way and you're just like what well, so because he's not doing anything miserable you have to make us miserable with the soundtrack like why are you doing this to us I yeah I felt
2: like I was being yeah. punished I, I didn't have to say I had a problem with the voiceover and I, I think like voiceover, you know is fine as a, as a device to use you know it, it, it can go either way for me, voiceover. But there was a lot of it in this in this mm. show, and I think because he quite rightly has to read it in a fairly morose way because he's quite a morose character. He can't be up about. Yeah. It. He can't like just, you know. So he's explaining things clearly from the novel, and I just felt. I'm just not sure if I needed that and I kept thinking you know if I just Mm. so just that adds to the relentless as you say the kind of brownie grey thing that a lot of it is just listening to him droning on literally droning on um, (laughs) explaining (laughs) stuff that we're about to then see for ourselves so I felt that was a slight mistake I think I could have done with less than that
0: This should be a red flag for certain people like if Terry here is sitting here on this particular (laughs) podcast and saying this show is a little bit downbeat for me that's a bit like going out into traffic with a Stig and him saying you know people are driving a fast i'm actually a bit concerned do you know what i mean like it's, this is not this is not good for your mental health
1: <laughs> no and the, the, i know that the um it sat in development for years and it was optioned to be a film and and various people have tried to kind of adapt it and you know i read something which said oh it's it's easier to do over a um, Six-part TV series because you can spread out the misery, and I was like, "Well, I mean, can you, or do you just multiply the misery by six
2: It's exponentially accelerated misery. The cast is incredible, though. The cast—I just say, yes, it and is. Rosie it is a Archie, Panjabi, Imogen Poots, Juliet Lewis, Karen Gillan's going to be in it. Um, you know, fucking hell.
0: I know this much is true. Debut on Sky Comedy later this week.
2: <laughs> Where is it out? Sky Boys? Atlantic and now <laughs> TV. Sure today monday 9 p.m <laughs> oh god um right <laughs> next up we have Hightown. town this stars
0: monica raymond who the unusually succinct synopsis describes as and i quote a hard partying lesbian in provincetown <laughs> massachusetts aka p-town a federal fishery service agent she uses her gun and badge to seduce tourist chicks so there you go uh, however her life is disrupted when her body drops in Cape Cod Bay and she gets sucked in to the area's heroin epidemic by way of getting in various trouble with drink and drugs uh, Terry and this is a sorry not sorry moment do real heroes wear cape cods <laughs> So i've got nothing i apologize wow. that's all i've wow. got i'm sorry <laughs> what
1: i can't even get my head around that I have, that doesn't work on so many levels
0: <laughs> i know this much is true broke me that's all i'm saying it just broke me i've got nothing left
1: um so i think this is super interesting it's essentially a queer crime drama that's kind of about crime and kind of about addiction mm. um but isn't really. So it's it's not a procedural, which is what I thought it was going in. Because there is this crime at the heart of it that essentially happens really quickly in the opening scene. It's clear it's gonna be the connective tissue of the show. Um, as you say, there's this agent at the heart of it, Jackie, but there's also a um, state police detective. Um, Ray played by James Badge Dale who is also investigating this crime and essentially they're the two central characters of this show which also deals in kind of an opioid crisis that's happening in the community um, her own personal his issues his own personal issues um, and it's weird because when the opening credits come up it kind of tries to set out its stall and it feels kind of um, schizophrenic because you've got these beach shots, people frolicking on the beach, having a nice vacation. You've then got these weird shots of drug hauls, people being arrested and it looks a bit like the L word meets cops, meets Dawson's Creek. And it's, it's quite discombobulating when those opening credits happen. But I found this really interesting because actually, I think it's more of a draw. it's a it's a character-based drama really more than it is a procedural or a, a kind of traditional crime drama what I think was most interesting about it is her because both her and this other police officer share the kind of classic tv male detective DNA which is personal life is fucked up you know drink a bit too much casual sex all of that but in this first episode, you see all of that with her as a queer woman, as a lesbian. So you've got her and she drinks, she takes cocaine. She has casual sex with tourists. She gets herself in all kinds of bother with the law. And it's it's interesting because it's not just a female perspective of that, but it's a lesbian perspective of that. And I can't remember really seeing anything on screen like that before. So I found her super compelling as a character I I think sometimes those different elements sit slightly uneasily against each other like is it a procedural is it a crime show is it about this central case or is it about her as a character and I think those kind of rub up against each other a little bit uncomfortably I'm gonna keep watching this because I actually did find it super interesting um, and I really love her as a character and where they're kind of positioning her on this journey she's gonna go through with her own kind of issues with both her personal life, her career, but also clearly with um substance abuse and with her own addiction issues. Um so I, I, I really like this.
2: Hmm. It's it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like uh, first of all, she is she is she works for the fishery department in the um, She's yeah. a fish she's
1: fish a cop, fish color. Well,
2: so I'd like to have seen the pitch document for this, because it must have said and I'm I'm amazed, James, you didn't you didn't um Hit upon this, but she is a hot mess. I mean, in heavy quotes, I'd be amazed (laughs) if they didn't describe her as a hot mess in the pitch document for this hot mess fisheries detective. It's such a weird premise, as you and and LGBT completely. It's one of the most LGBT things I've seen in ages. Its whole kind of conception, as you say, the title sequence, which is also a bit like Veronica Mars as well, Um, Mm. and. And she go, and she's—they do not relent, do they? On, on the detail of her drug taking and um, sleeping with and uh, pulling girls left, right, and centre, and this whole P-town party thing going on—is—is is, you just—and it's weird. It's produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. It's like completely weird. Yeah, yeah. any P. <laughs> it's completely yeah. weird um, premise. But I agree. I was like, no, oh, this is just—I've never seen anything like this before. It's such an odd mix, and and there are like really, I think the. Um, the detective, the Ray g- character is a complete cliche, isn't it? I mean, he is like a horrendous twat. Yeah. And um, that scene where he um, goes to the strip club, it's like, oh, my God. So it's, there's like scenes in it that are just gratuitous bullshit, you know, like stripping scenes that you see in like thousands of terrible, probably Jerry Bruckheimer films before. And yet it's got this whole LGBT <laughs> thing going on at the same time. So it's kind of like you can get away with a lot of breast action there's a lot of bare boobage in the show but it kind of gets away with it it feels justified because it is an lgbt thing and i think she's great the main character is really interesting and even though again it bought scenes that border on cliche and stereotype when she goes to rehab that scene i found like oh you know like she's being judged and she's like gonna have to be punished for being this the, the person she is and all of that but it's fun. It's kind of fun and interesting and different. And, um, you know, that's, that. Uh, you know, you don't get many shows that feel completely new, despite the yeah. fact that it is echoes of all kinds of other shows.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, it did. It, it- took me by surprise this is not at all what i thought it would be but i think it all comes this whole thing really hinges to me on, on monica raymond who i think is really really outstanding in this role because she's magnetic she's charismatic she's entirely believable as this sort of brilliant fuck up uh who just doesn't really give a shit about her job she is a fish cop and, and isn't really interested in her job she just does it it's a day job she's not interested but she's not like a huge like ambitious wants to join the fbi type you know she has no aspirations at all beyond saturday night and i think and i really like that about about that character she has this hedonistic live in the moment personality and it's just she's a lot of fun to be around and you know how you get a lot of those sort of burnout fuck up cops and they're quite just downers, and they're quite irritating company and she's not she's really good company and i think that really helps this show enormously um i like the story i like the way it was unfolding i like that there's there's clearly a lot going on and it is exploring the sort of underside of this area and the opioid crisis and the gangs that are exploiting the, the drug trade there but i found this to be uh to be really enjoyable I, i'm definitely going to keep watching it um, when I don't quite know but I would very much like to see how this plays out just to see where she goes with it and I think it lays its stall out quite early on it begins with a kind of not quite cold open but it's only a prologue that is violent and quite shocking Mm. and I think that that really makes you pay attention to where this is going. Because that first scene, again, it feels eminently disposable. I've seen this kind of thing many times before. And then it goes in a very unexpected direction and the tone shifts quite substantially. And I think that's it very much letting you know that this isn't something that you've seen before. But um, yeah, very good stuff. Hightown. And this drops on Stars Play on Sunday night. Lastly this week, we have FX comedy Dave, an actual comedy this time uh this is a semi-autobiographical show about dave bird aka the rapper lil dicky uh, whose hook seems to revolve around the size of his genitals this one has neuroses freestyle hip-hop a long-suffering urologist and a rap about his girlfriend's vagina boyd yay or nay
2: well this was an interesting one um I'd heard about this show, and uh, and because it's on FX, so BBC gets all the FX shows, so it's going to be it's on BBC Two, and, and I'd heard it was quite kind of uh, bold, and I'd heard a lot that it rested on whether you like Dave Bird, the main the creator, the main character, um, aka Little Dicky, his rap persona. And it's based very much. It's autobiographical. It's very much based on. He really is a YouTube rapper. He's pretty f- successful at it. He's become very, very famous in America, and he does genuinely mingle with real life rappers. And all of the real life rappers featured in this show are played by are playing themselves effectively. Yeah. Um, and he is insufferable. Uh, and I say this as a, uh, uh, you know, I know like you find insufferable characters, you can't watch shows that if... where
0: I thought you were literally saying, yeah. I thought you were saying he's insufferable when I know no, you. No, 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 no,
2: <laughs> I no. Mean, I know you, James, have a problem with, you're not insufferable. Well, but yeah... I know you have an issue with shows where the characters are um, annoying and irritating, blah, blah, blah. And now he is an absolute cast example of a comedy show built around a deliberately irritating twat of a character. And I think <laughs> I found myself even, and I, I've, I said, right, I think in the beginning when we were talking about other kinds of things, I can take almost anything on TV But I did find him immensely annoying. And um, I mean, he talks about his penis relentlessly. The very first (laughs) scene, he talks about his penis. And that's funny. That was an encounter with the doctor. And I thought him talking, having to warn the doctor about what his dick looks like was funny. And there are funny moments. But I did find him relentlessly annoying. And I'm not sure if I can stand watching, you know, 10 episodes of him being relentlessly annoying. And yet I can see the skill in it. There are, you know, there's some f- there's funny moments. I think it's, you know, it's quite sharp. Um, it's different, you know, the, the a, a show about a white Jewish guy who suddenly becomes a rap star inadvertently uh, and be, is being really annoying at the same time. It's different. But he was too much for me, I have to say. And and unless he tones it down a bit, I I will find it too annoying. The real star of the show for me was his best mate, who's played by Travis Taco Bennett. Um, His best mate, he's a musical engineer. And he is fantastic. He's great. He puts up with the shit that um, Dave gives him. And he's like the sensible guy, but he's also funny. And his dialogue, his lines are great. He has most of the best lines, I think. And he's kind of likeable and good looking. And I want the show to be about him. I want to see the spin-off show entirely about him being dryly funny and right because Little Dicky, a.k.a. Dave, is just fucking annoying.
1: Well, you see, I'd like to see the show that focuses on his fucking okay, girlfriend, yeah. who, by the way, is like the amazing token girlfriend who's just there to be the butt of the yeah. jokes. Like, I did not enjoy this. <laughs> I did not enjoy this. Because, look, here's the thing, right? It's clearly meant or people will will claim it's meant to be a parody of some very problematic parts of, of rap culture. And, you know, I suppose the question at the heart of it is, is it just a series of dick jokes or is it meant to be a comment on the hyper toxic masculinity of rap? It's a series of dick jokes. I'm sorry <laughs> it is. like, And I think this this whole thing of, of, of giving it this veneer of being... Um, you know, this gap between the persona of him as this nice guy with a lovely girlfriend who's a who's like a teacher and this little dicky guy who's, you know, just trying to be a super masculine, super straight um, guy when he's around his fellow rappers to try and prove he's one of them. I mean, it, I just didn't find it funny. I just thought it was a series of, of dick jokes, some of which were funnier than others, most of them which weren't. Like his poor girlfriend's there just to be the butt of these jokes. There's a whole thing about her dry vagina, which I did not enjoy at all. Um, And I I just found this pretty unbearable, I have to say. Found it really pretty, actually desperately unbearable. No.
0: This resoundingly fails the pilot TV bell-end test. Uh, Yeah, I hated absolutely everyone in this. Uh, Him, most of all. Every time he was on the screen, I wanted to punch him. I do think that's kind of the point. I think that's what they're going for. So I don't know that's necessarily a a bad thing, like if you enjoy that type of comedy. The only thing about this that, there is a point where you actually see him rap in this episode. Uh, and for me, that, this is the one saving grace of the entire thing, is that he's clearly, because, he, I mean, this is what he does. He is a rapper. I was, I was surprised by how competently done that scene was. Like, he raps well. It's quite well-constructed. It's quite I mean, funny is perhaps generous, but do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay, fair enough. He's clearly quite good at this. The whole point is he's actually a good rapper. He's not a shit rapper. This is actually, he's got some talent.
1: But just, but didn't you see that coming to off? right? Because he's, Weirdly he's, set no. yeah. joke, mm. he's set up as this joke. He's set up as this joke. And he spent all his time trying to get in the studio and prove he's a decent rapper. And then, oh my God, who guessed it? The white guy was going to yeah. actually be a really competent rapper. Of course, he was. Like that was the whole setup. I, I
0: kind of had him pegged down as more of a partridge type character, yeah, where he no. just thinks he's good no. and he's just awful.
2: That is, the, and therefore yeah. is the butt of every That's joke. That's actually the problem with it because it's incredibly self-aggrandizing because it's a, it's based on this his real life success. As mm. a dweeby Jewish guy who, oh, my God, happens to be this incredible rapper. And the whole setup of that this episode is, yeah, you're, you're right. You expect, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's a, this dweeby guy who's an idiot and keeps making mistakes and has sent 10 grand to who knows who to get the actual rapper on his track. And then the climax of the episode is, oh, my God, he's fucking brilliant. I am, aka, I am fucking brilliant after all. That's the punchline. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, I don't think so. That's, that's, that yeah. that's what doesn't happen with Alan Partridge and David Brett and all the other great comedy characters of our time. It's just not funny that he's a brilliant rapper, first of all. You know, it's just not, it's it's an unfunny ending to the episode.
0: But I don't know much about Dave Bird or, indeed, Little Dicky, uh, so I don't know what where how close this is to his real-life persona. Pretty close. But he's un. <laughs> Bearable. yeah he is the worst like he is the absolute worst and i just think it's i i find it quite exhausting spending time in his company it's just you just want him to go away and i think if that's your protagonist certainly for me that's a deal breaker i can't spend time with someone i hate (laughs) that's just not fun yeah so i will not be pursuing with dave if i want to watch dave i shall dig out the film of the same name which is better with kevin klein
2: and the whole tv channel
0: and indeed the whole tv channel dave so we say you could watch dave or you'll have more fun watching anything else on dave yep. uh but this is not on dave this is on bbc2 and it drops boyd when
2: uh, on sunday as well
0: <laughs> on sunday as well also out Boyd. also outs what else comes our way
2: this well week? there is a really interesting we couldn't get this there's an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt interactive episode indeed arrives on tuesday on netflix kimmy versus the reverend, kimmy versus the reverend. i'm really excited about this because I, I like kimmy schmidt and um daniel radcliffe's going to be in it he's the, he's the kind of main guest star and uh john Hamm's going to be in it and just the idea of an interactive episode like they did with bandersnatch um the black mirror episode um is really interesting so i'll give it a go i mean it might be intensely irritating i don't know but but i'm certainly open to it so that's exciting and uh, White Lines, which is um, the Netflix series about a kind of Ibiza, like an Ibetha set mystery, uh, Ibiza-set crime drama, essentially, uh, created by the guy who wrote Money Heist, a.k.a. La Casa de Papel. I know you like it when I mention <laughs> La Casa de Papel. This is his first. Um, it's kind of half Spanish, half English language. Um, mm. It's got Laura Haddock, Daniel Mays in it. Lawrence Fox is in it. Yes, indeed. I think this is the first. The, the Lawrence, Lawrence Fox. Fox. So I think this is the first post- I'm a twat Lawrence Fox Lawrence Fox becomes a right wing idiot uh, actual appearance in a show but he does pop up in it I've seen some of it but it's it's embargo till the day it comes out that's why we can't review that um, Brock Meyer have you ever seen Brock Meyer that's back for a new series on Fox I have not today. seen it no. it's got people really like it um, Hank mm. Azaria Uh, and it's been going for four seasons this is the last season but it's got I know it's become a bit of a cult phenomenon so that's back I think that's probably about it okay and what would be
0: your pick of the week I think we'll probably be all aligned on this one Hightown
2: yes
1: Hightown
0: Hightown it is Right, before we depart, uh, I think it's time for a Banshee. I, someone someone to me the other day saying, Have you tried Bansheeing Banshee? I was like, hmm, okay, I probably don't say enough why this section is called the Banshee segment. <laughs> so this is called the Banshee segment after Jonathan Tropper's show Banshee, which was the first classic random show that I pulled out of my ass to slap into this into this podcast. So we have dubbed them all banshees ever since. But yes, that was the first. That was the OG Banshee. Um this week, actually, my banshee comes from someone who tweeted in a question. And their question for the Part TV podcast, which I rejected, which was uh, from uh, Maria Vahej. Verhaige, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your surname. In this era of fake news, many topics evoke two or more completely different views. What's your favorite show that tells one story from different perspectives? Which immediately got me thinking about a show that I've not thought about in nearly 20 years, which is Boomtown. Um, do you remember this boy? Did you ever watch yeah. Boomtown? Yeah, so this was, uh, this was a 2002 NBC show from Graham Yost, who famously did Justified. Uh, and this starred Donnie Wahlberg in the lead of this, and Mike Kelty Williamson was in it, uh, Neil McDonough is in this one as well. Um, and it's basically a cop procedural crossed with Rashomon <laughs> so the idea would be that you would see the events play out multiple times from different perspectives in each episode showing how you know truth is objective and how experience and memory are fallible and showing how everyone saw the events unfold and you would distill them all to get to the truth of what actually happened now this was pretty critically acclaimed when it came out but this I think the biggest problem was it, it was a network show it aired on NBC which didn't feel like a natural home for it and at the end of the first season uh jos was instructed by the executives that they could have a second season but he needed to change certain key things and One of the network notes was, you you know that thing how you know you see the same thing from different points of view? Yeah, maybe lose that. Like Literally, the whole premise of the show, its entire USP, they took an issue with and said, you need to get rid of that. So as of season two, they completely dropped that Rashomon-style device, and they tried to just show events from different people's perspectives, but just make it more sort of linear in the narrative. It didn't really work at all. They also, like, it it got into some quite heavy territory at the end of season one with uh, Fearless, who was Michael D. Williamson's character, you know, dealing with his abuse and whatnot. And again, the network said, no, no more of that. Um, And I think Joss Sintz has has regretted taking this to NBC. I think he... He said, you know, it would have been better suited for a, for a cable channel like. But, but as he said, you know, he's been quoted saying HBO had the Wire, FX had the Shield, so it didn't feel like there was anywhere else to go. So they ended up uh, they ended up at M- NBC. And I think if this this could have been something that that would have flourished certainly in this day and age on a streaming platform or back then on a cable network, it would have done quite well. But as it stands, it, it, it is this is solid for two seasons uh, on NBC, and that is it. You cannot, to the best of my knowledge, stream this anywhere. I don't even know if it was ever released on DVD in the uk maybe it was maybe it wasn't maybe have so you've that. recommended something know. you
2: literally can't see anywhere it's entirely possible it's one of these things yes <laughs> just to confirm i'm recommending
0: you don't watch this thing that you can't watch all right fine 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 boy <laughs> i will look it up and see if you can buy the dvd uh Town dvd there we go can you get it uh oh yes Ooh. you can you can get the Yay. DVD. The DVD is available on Amazon for eight pounds. So you can probably pick it up second hand for a lot less than that, like pennies. Pennies, I would imagine. Uh, but it was good. It was. It's worth watching, especially if you're a, you know, a, a recovering new kids on the block stand and uh, you want a bit of Donny Wahlberg action. Terry, that's you, clearly. Were you a new kid fan? Were you hanging tough I, back in the nineties?
1: I was, <laughs> but I was. Um, uh, Donny was too tough for me. He scared the <laughs> shit out of me. So I like Joey McIntyre. <laughs> really it's yeah. really
0: funny we had Mark Wahlberg on the podcast on the Empire podcast uh, once and I don't we got talking on fame and what not he, he was just like you know he goes I am not famous he said no, no he said you think I'm famous like he said my brother was famous he said I've never known fame the likes of which my brother knew because they were insane weren't they like people flinging yeah. underwear at them it was absolutely mental new kids fever
1: flinging underwear at them <laughs> I
2: think that's
0: a Beatles reference He's oh, just like don't so you weren't doing it Terry <laughs> these pop stars
2: we
1: I was 10 years old. I wasn't flinging my (laughs) knickers at Jerry McIntyre or or Donnie Wahlberg. Like, I think you've misjudged the audience.
0: Amazing. <laughs> Fair enough. You know Fair enough.
1: Could it, they couldn't move yeah. for My Little I Pony think, I underwear. Think the, oh, this <laughs> has gone
2: dark. This has gone dark. <laughs> I think no, the no, flinging no. knickers thing come from Tom Jones. I think old middle-aged <laughs> women <laughs> fling their knickers at Tom Jones. I mean, is that what it yeah. is?
0: Oh, bloody yeah. hell.
2: Jesus <laughs> Christ.
1: What <laughs> yeah. I'm saying it. is
2: none of
0: this went on at the concerts I went to. No. What concerts <laughs> did you go to? The first ever concert I went to was Gloria Estefan's Cuts Both Ways tour. at you That That's the first concert Why I ever did went to.
2: Why you go to Gloria Estefan? <laughs> I don't
0: know. You know, it was the 80s, it was crazy, <laughs> everyone was doing wacky shit, and I went to a Gloria Estefan concert. But my first was Gloria <laughs> Estefan, my second was Rage Against the Machine at Brixton, oh. so I escalated quite quickly. <laughs>
2: that, that Yeah, if you asked me to guess any band that you would have got, oh yeah, Rage Against the Machine. That fits. I can't remember you how long it was. <laughs> me,
1: duck to be. Duck, 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 duck to be. Why not you help me, duck to There was duck, a bit,
0: to- and I shit you not. I shit you not. <laughs> and I remember this vividly. It was at Wembley Arena, and I remember they played, the, you know, the conga song that she does. They played that in the middle, Which and one? everyone <laughs> got <laughs> up and did the conga round the arena. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's worst concert um I, to be fair i must have been pretty young so you know well wow.
1: is the rhythm going to get you though james
0: yes gloria <laughs> esmond is right and sooner or later the rhythm is going to get you
1: <laughs> as Chandler being
0: famously said <laughs> oh god
1: oh this is the
0: best
2: james <laughs>
0: yeah. ever
1: what sort of weird male yeah. child goes to a Gloria <laughs> Estefan concert? No, no,
0: it's better. I went with my mum. <laughs> it was me and my mum at Gloria <laughs> Estefan. And I must have been about, what, eight or something? Nine, maybe? I don't know. Was
1: what- it your choice?
0: I was, I was pretty young. I was pretty young.
1: Oh my that is God. That's such a
2: great. That's such an unlikely. It's like our own version of Would I Like to You. It's like, <laughs> did you really? Go, was your first concert really Gloria Estefan? Oh my God.
0: <coughs> How did we get onto this? I don't even know. Does anyone else have know. a Banshee?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have a Banshee. Um, so I want to Banshee No Angels, um, which was the Channel 4 Nurses comedy drama which ran from 2004 to 2006 so this was created by Toby Whithouse who also made Being Human, Noughts and Crosses most recently um, wrote some episodes of Doctor Who and this was pretty revolutionary at the time and it was about these three nurses and a healthcare assistant set in lead, good northern women and essentially these four women and how they dealt with the stressors and strains of their lives and their jobs um, in the NHS by essentially drinking, smoking and shagging, um, but also being brilliant friends. Um, But it also like tackled racism, sexism, bullying. um, And I remember at the time it was so kind of um, what's the word, controversial, that the Royal College of Nursing actually put out a statement saying that it completely misrepresented the profession and that they'd missed a the chance to tell like the proper story of nurses who they probably didn't want to think were going to nightclubs and, uh, you know, getting fingered. But, um, <laughs> but I, really, <laughs> I really, which, you know, everybody does. Um, but I uh, I really love this. And it had t- four great actresses in it, Kay Rag, Louise Delamere, Sinitra Sarkar, and Joe Joyner, who've all gone on to do um, different things. But it was funny and it was um, warm. It was really well written. Um, so, you know, if you would like some of that in your life, it is all on for OD right now. I think it all is. Some of it is. <laughs> Probably all of it.
2: Um, yeah, it was a good show. I like that show. I'm picking Clique, which was a BBC Three show um, a few years ago. There were two series of it. The first one was in 2017, and um, it got—I think it got weirdly overlooked. This show. It was created by Jess Britton, who worked on Skins, um, wrote some of Skins, and was one of the one of the producers. And this is all about um, two young women going to university in Edinburgh and encountering. Um, Kind of identity politics, basically. The first series is all about they meet this lecturer, this feminist lecturer, um, played by Lou Breyli, who's in Doctor Who. She's a really good actor, and it do, and it all it's all about you know because the kind of rights and wrongs of trying to teach people a certain ideology and the limits of that ideology and do are people just following this um, ideologue blindly? And it deals with a lot of very interesting ideas. And it's also a thriller. There's also loads of rampant sex and swearing and and violence. It's quite full on um, the show and the. Second series equal, dealt with um, sexual assault and was about um, the main character finding, befriending this group of blokes and um, trying to find you know what they, what they were really like. And again, it was dealing with a lot of very topical stuff about um, what happens on campus in this day and age. And it was a really good show, Clique. And it's all on um, iPlayer at the moment in their box set section. It was good.
0: Very good, very good. I will uh, add that to my ever-growing list of things that I may or may not at one point watch on that particular note, I believe that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. I was thinking of uh, trying to work out a bunch of Gloria Estefan lyrics and try and and weave them seamlessly into this outro, but frankly, no one has the time or brain space (laughs) or real need for that, so I'm not going to do it. Um, We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we... (laughs) I hope you've had as many laugh out loud moments listening as we did watching I Know This Much Is True. Um, if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts along with a five star rating that would be very much appreciated and if you want to talk to us directly then as ever we are all up in the interwebs and social media at Terry underscore White at Boyd Hilton and at James C. Dyer or You know, drop me a line via the Miami sound machine. Um, We'll be back next week when season two of Homecoming is, you know, coming home. And, hopefully, joining Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington as they explore the weight of secrets, the nature of art and identity, and the ferocious pull of motherhood in little fires everywhere. But, fear not, because there's always the outside chance that Mark Ruffalo might turn up to bring some much-needed comic relief. See you next time. Pilot out.